the Benefits Corner podcast. Thanks for joining us. With each episode, we'll be speaking with business owners, thought leaders, and top performers. Our goal is to provide our audience with interesting, relevant information as it relates to employee benefits, Canadian healthcare, and running a business. Now, we should say up front that the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily those shared by the Benefits Corner nor its host. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. Today's show is brought to you by Aria Benefits, modern advisors backed by experience and technology. Now here's your host, Robin Bailey. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Benefits Corner podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have Rich Appia in the studio. Rich is the principal of Appia Law Employment and Labor Council. He provides expert strategic counsel and legal representation in the area of human resources law to small enterprise scale businesses, as well as to managers and senior executives. Rich has published extensively in the area of employment law and has frequently been asked to speak at conferences for human resources and legal professionals, including those hosted by the Human Resources Professional Association, the Ontario Bar Association, and the Law Society of Ontario. Recent papers and presentations have addressed ethical issues in employment law, successful advocacy before the Human Rights Tribunal, workplace privacy, workplace violence and harassment, and steps to mitigate organizational liability. In 2016, Rich was recognized as a lawyer to watch by Lexpert magazine, and in 2017, he was elected to the executive of the Ontario Bar Association Employment and Labor Section. Rich is the former president of Delisle Youth Services, now Skylark Children, Youth, and Families, and is chair of the board of directors of the STEPS Initiative, an award-winning public arts organization. In 2017, Rich was appointed to the Board of Governors of the University of Guelph for a three-year term. As Governor, Rich serves on the University's Human Resources and Governance Committee and Audit Risk Committee. Wow, you've been a busy guy. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Robin. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I'm reading all that, Rich, and I'm always interested to hear where people came from. You know, how did you end up in the career that you came in? Because, you know, as I'm reading that intro and, and your bio, I'm thinking, wow, this guy... This isn't something you just fell into. So where does this all start for you in terms of pursuing law? Is this something you dreamt of as a kid or is this something later in life that you fell into? I'd love to hear that story. So that's a great question. Believe it or not, being a lawyer is something that I wanted to do since I, since I was a kid. Um, if you ask my parents, uh, they would likely tell you that all I ever talked about doing was becoming a lawyer. If you ask my sister, she would tell you the same thing. I had a pretty clear direction of what I wanted to do since childhood and um, through uh, university and and law school, it was obvious that this is the career that I wanted to pursue. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So would you call yourself a labor lawyer, an employment lawyer? Or are they inter- interchangeable? Actually, that's a good question also. Employment law is a little bit different than labor law. Labor law is the law that relates to unionized businesses. Uh, employment law deals with everything outside of, uh, outside of unionized organizations. Ah, okay, gotcha. So now... 
in your practice, who would you be working with on a daily basis? Is it business owners, executives, HR, all of the above? So I work with business owners, absolutely. Okay. Uh, typically in situations where the business doesn't have a human resource person in place. Um, outside of that, I will. Uh, I mostly work with human resources professionals, um, people who have taken the responsibility of administering, in, in the, the case of area, um, uh, administering benefits, but also dealing with things like employee relations, recruitment, um, compensation, that kind of stuff. Okay, gotcha. You know, it's interesting, we're talking about business owners specifically. I mean, I speak with a lot of people, just the nature of what I do, who run companies. And, you know, I think that people like the idea of running their own show. And, you know, it sounds like like a dream profession. You know, you're, you start your own company, you're your own boss, that sort of thing. But there are potential pitfalls of running a business. From a legal perspective, what are some of those, you know, potential pitfalls? So it's interesting that you say that. There's a sense of glamour in running your own business. Um, oftentimes I'm talking to young people and they say to me, oh, it's so great that you started your own firm. You get to set your own hours. You get to go to work when you want to. And I often look at them and say, hey, when you when you can point me to that job, let me know where it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there is a sense of glamour involved with it. But there are some, uh, there are some challenges. And from the legal perspective, uh, one of those would be um, deciding what kind of business structure you want to operate in. So there are uh, business structures that um, involve running a corporation. Um, you can have a business structure that's a partnership. You can have a sole proprietorship. There's advantages and disadvantages of each of those structures. Um, and it's, it's really a matter of circumstance and deciding what's best for you. Um, the advantages and disadvantages flow from the financial opportunities um, and, and pitfalls as well as uh, protecting yourself from legal liability in the course of running your own business. So that's one thing uh, that I think business owners uh, need to think about from a legal perspective when they're when they're starting their own business. Uh, the second thing is uh, would relate to trademark and branding, uh, especially people who are involved in business for the first time give enough thought in in terms of branding. Um, and the key concern there is ensuring that your brand, um, your logo, the name that you're operating under, your business markers and identifies, ensuring that those aren't some in some way a copycat or similar to um, the branding of another organization or another business that's already up and running. And I have an interesting, uh, interesting story around that. Um, when I was starting Appia Law, um, and deciding on a logo, I was working with a number of different branding experts or, or agents um, trying to come up with a logo. And um, one guy who was kind of a, an amateur at this, just starting up, I thought I would just talk to him and see what uh, what his thoughts were on on my on what kind of logo I should work with. Um, as I was talking to him, I told him that uh, I really loved the Obama O, the O that, uh, oh, okay. that Barack Obama ran under in, uh, in 2008 and 2012. Um, I thought it was very inspirational, the right colors, the right message in this one O. And so I, as I was talking to that, he was taking some notes and, and then finally sent me a sample of, uh, of a logo that um, he thought would work best for me. And it was essentially the Obama O, but oh maybe added up, changed up just slightly so that it reflected a, a legal message. And I wrote him a message and said, I can't use this. I'm going to get sued. This isn't something that uh, that would work for me. And so 
of course, I didn't end up working with him uh, on that. That is too um, funny. But it is important for business owners, people who are just launching their own business, to give some thought to branding and, and ensuring that the message that they're sending isn't a copycat um, or in some way similar to the message of a, of a business that already exists. Then lastly, I would say the other thing that new business owners should think of is um, ensuring that the contracts that they use in building relationships with with clients or customers properly sets expectations. So we're talking about things like uh, ensuring that you've got an agreement in place that deals with the service or the product that's being offered, um, the costs and the terms of payment, how much is this product gonna cost and what are my expectations around payment and how it should be paid, um, liability and warranties around defects, um, ensuring that there's some message or, or communication around, around that. Again, it's just a matter of ensuring that you've got a proper agreement in place that, that sets the expectations of the relationship so that if something goes, goes wrong down the line, um, there's a clear indication, a clear outline of how that's, going to be, uh, how that's going to be addressed. Well, that brings up a good question because that was one of the things I was thinking about because you must see it in your practice. Where do you find business owners running into issues? Like, What are the common little things that maybe they can do a little, a little tweak or just, just be cognizant of? Uh, or aware of and and keep them out of trouble for new businesses the issue that I've been dealing with and uh, quite frequently it relates to employment contracts and and particularly around termination clauses in in employment contracts um, so I'll give you an example I recently spoke with somebody and this is quite a common conversation that I've had um, but I recently spoke with somebody who decided to let somebody go after only about you know maybe six months eight months of of services, the relationship just wasn't working. Out. Okay, sure. Um, and in that circumstance, she asked me, you know, what's my liability under the Employment Standards Act, which is legislation that sets out uh, uh, the basic employment standards of employees. Um, the employee in question would have only been entitled to one week of, of notice or pay in lieu of notice. But because there was no employment contract in place, my advice to that business owner was, yeah, you, you have to pay at minimum the week. But there is a possibility that that employee could come back and ask you for more because you didn't have a contract in place that limited your business's liability at, at termination to the provisions of the Employment Standards Act. So it often comes as a surprise to, uh, to new businesses employers that when they're letting someone go, they may owe more than what the Employment Standards Act dictates. And the reason is that they didn't have a proper contract in place that limited their liability. This is something that I deal with all the time and the failure to have an agreement in place um, that deals with that, deals with some other items as well, you know, around vacation, around benefits, uh, around termination, confidentiality, non-solicitation, non-competition. Um, those, those types of clauses are in, integral at the outset of an employment relationship because again, it sets the expectations of the employee um, when things may not go as, as well as we all hope that they, that they will. Yeah, I mean, when you're hiring an employee, you always hope that this is going to be a longer term relationship, but I think, I think everyone can relate that they've had those where it just, it just doesn't work out for, for whatever. No blame uh, on anybody, but it's just not a right fit. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned benefits, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little bit selfish here because on the employee benefits side, that's, that's all I do and, that, and that's my true love. So taking a turn down that alley, what are the issues you see relating specifically to employee benefit programs? So what are the issues people are running into there? 
Okay, so there are, I would say about four, three or four issues that employers um, need to be concerned about when they're offering their employees uh, uh, benefits. Um, the first issue is altering or eliminating a benefit that a particular employee may re rely upon significantly. Um, so for example, let's say you've got an employee who um, suffers from a, a severe disability or disease uh, and they're relying on the benefits plan extensively to cover um, their medical expenses. Let's say those medical expenses may on a, on a year cost them uh, $10,000, $15,000 um, uh, a year. So, And also in this example, let's say that the employer decides, well, I can't afford the premiums that are now associated with this uh, this high expense claim so I'm going to change the benefit plan to limit the uh, the uh, value of medication that an employee can claim well in doing that um, the employer potentially runs into an issue in that the employee can claim that the change in the benefit plan is a significant change. It's certainly one that the employee wouldn't agree to. Um, and so uh, the employee would claim that they've been constructively dismissed. And I won't get into that concept okay. in, in great detail, other than to say that that problem can be very costly for an employer. Um, so that's one issue is, is changing or, or eliminating a benefit that, a, that an employee may rely upon significantly. Another issue relates to um, limiting benefit coverage for employees who take extended leaves of absence. Another example uh, that I have dealt with uh, on a number of occasions um, involve, would involve an employee who has been absent for work for two or three years, continues to rely on the benefits plan, and the employer suddenly decides um, that they want to limit the opportunities for absent employees to continue participating on a benefits plan. In those circumstances, there's a question as to whether the employee who is now away um, has a vested right to the benefits that they have been relying upon during the course of their absence. And in that circumstance, the question is, is the employer entitled to make that change? And if they do make that change, are they liable for the, any losses that the employee will now incur um, as a result of the change? Um, so that's a second issue that uh, employers can often run into. A third issue, and, and this is perhaps this isn't as, as significant or concerning, but um, employers have to give some thought as to the ways in which their employees should be informed of benefit changes or their entitlements to benefits generally. Um, this relates to a fourth issue, which is um, just ensuring that the representations that are being made to employees concerning their benefits entitlements or their uh, timelines within which they have to apply for benefits, who they have to submit benefit claims for, that that's clearly delineated. Okay. So those are three or four um, issues that I would say employers need to think about when offering benefits to their employees. Yeah, so for all those people listening, thinking about running a business and, and how it's such a great deal, maybe, maybe we're starting to scare them off a little bit, which certainly isn't the intent. But when we're making changes like this and or considering changes to an employee benefits plan as someone who runs a company, whether you're in HR, whether, whether you're the owner itself, what and when are the circumstances when we should be reaching out to someone like yourself to say, hey, I'm thinking of making a change. What do you think about this? I mean, like, where do you decide what a significant change is? Well, I think you should give some thought, uh, an employer in that situation should give some thought to what the impact will be on the employee group generally, but also give some thought as to specific employees. So if, if you're making changes to a benefit plan and you've got employees who are on long-term or short-term disability or who otherwise may have significant claims as against the, uh, the benefit plan, then you 
should be speaking to a lawyer to, uh, to, and have a conversation as to how those employees should be dealt with. Should they be dealt with in the same way as the, the broader group or is, is there an opportunity for them to treat them differently? And if, if so, for how long do you treat them right. differently? Yes. Okay. So I think, I think that's an important uh, uh, instance in which an employer should consult with legal counsel. I think also from the outset and offering benefits when an employer is uh, decides, okay, and I'm at the point now where I can offer benefits to, uh, to my team. Um, I think at that point, there should be an initial conversation uh, with a lawyer, employment lawyer particularly, um, as to um, what forms of communication I should engage in, um, whether my employment agreements should be amended, um, whether uh, my, uh, if not employment agreements, whether my, my, my policies should be amended to include um, reference to the benefits plan, to entitlements, to uh, timelines, um, and, and what particular language do I need to include in the contract or the policy um, that would ensure that expectations are clear and my liability as an employer is, is limited in terms of uh, the statements that I'm making to, uh, to my employee group. Yeah, and I think that's good advice because especially when you're starting out, you know, you want to, you're, you're going to have best practices in sales and human resources and that's in that sort of thing. So having all your contracts set up properly in the beginning, I think will save you, you know, having been in business for 13 years now, will save you a lot of headaches down the road. Absolutely. And, and listen, I can, I understand that uh, lawyers are expensive. Um, there are good lawyers and bad lawyers, just as there are good and bad of other uh, professionals. Uh, but I do think it's important and it's easy to find good lawyers out there. You, you know, by just by word of mouth, anyone can ask around and, and speak to a trusted advisor and find a, a reference to a good lawyer. Um, but I do think it is important at the outset of starting a business, not just with, with respect to benefits, but with respect to employment contracts or, or, or human resource policies, to get yourself going on the right foot and have those conversations to ensure that later on as your business grows, um, you've already put in place mechanisms by which um, you can limit your liability and ensure that, again, all everybody's um, on the same page in terms of expectations and communications. Okay, we're, we're beginning to sound better. This is sounding a better, like better story <laughs> of being an owner again, sure, so I'm so sure, happy about sure. that. Now, one of the things uh, I wanted to bring up to you, because it's something that I talk to a lot of my clients about, and it's planned administrator liability insurance. And this is usually found under, the, under their commercial general liability insurance, and nine times out of 10, it's there. This is not in my wheelhouse. I do not do that type of insurance. I always tell clients, I'm not there to disturb that relationship. I just want to make sure they're protected. So I ask the question, I say, can you just check with your broker a quick email? And you know, the one time that was scary that came back was I had had a client for you know, 10, 12 years, and the answer back was, no, you've never had this coverage in place. So what are your thoughts on that type of coverage? Why do they need it? Why should everyone, after listening to this podcast, send a note to their general insurance broker and say, hey, make sure I have this if I have a benefits plan? Plan administrator liability coverage is really important okay. um, for the simple reason that if, if an employer makes a mistake in administering a, a benefits plan or is responsible for the administration of, the benefits, of a benefits plan, ultimately, 
um, they can be held uh, liable for any errors in the administration. So when we're talking about administration, we're talking about things like ensuring that you're providing the proper forms so that an employee can right. uh, make an application, as for an example, as a, a, a for short-term disability um, or for some other me medical coverage. Um, advising employees of deadlines falls within the realm or the rubric of, of administering um, a benefits plan. Ensuring that the forms are properly submitted to the adjudicator is also part of the, the process of administration. Um, where an employer uh, makes an error in the administration of a benefits plan and that error causes loss to the employee, the employer can be held liable for those losses. I'll give you an example of a case that I dealt with many years ago. Um, that case involved an employer who failed to provide an employee with the benefits plan forms in a timely manner. This is uh, this case involved an employee who who was a, wanted to apply for short or long term disability benefits, and the employer didn't provide the, the forms on time. Uh, the adjudicator, um, uh, the insurance company, came back to the employee and said, "Well, you didn't apply on time, so you're out of luck in terms of your your benefits coverage." And and so the employee suffered a significant loss, wasn't qualified or wasn't eligible any longer to receive uh, shorter long-term disability benefits. So in that case, the the employee sued the employer for its failure, for the employer's failure uh, to administer the plan properly, and and. Uh, Thankfully for the employer, that case settled, uh, but it settled for quite a bit of money right, because yeah. it was clear that the employee had a disability, would have been covered under the disability plan, but for the uh, the error, the negligence of the employer. So if they, if in that case, the employer had some sort of liability that covered plan administration, um, then the insurance uh, from the, the coverage would have covered the settlement that ultimately was arrived at in, in that case. So it is important to give some thought when offering benefits plan uh, to employees as to um, whether, you know, you, you may make some decisions around uh, depending on the size of your employee group, the human resources that you have available to administer the plan, uh, etc. But it is important to at least give some thought to whether um, liability insurance would uh, be appropriate for your circumstances, given the risks that are involved for uh, negligence in administering plans. Yeah, and, and I've been talking about that for, for a long time. It, it forms part of a larger document that we use with clients in, in terms of a checklist to, to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. So last thing before I let you go, you know, I'm always looking for life hacks as, as is, you know, every listener and, and to, you know, make your life a little bit better in some way. So last question in the last five years, what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life? That's an outstanding question. Uh, it's actually one that I've been asking my friends and colleagues okay, okay. As, I've, as I've uh, launched into uh, my practice. Um, I would say that the, the habit change that I've made in the last five years that has had the biggest impact on myself and my success, and when I say success, not just business success, but my own personal growth, um, has been stepping outside of my own comfort zone. Ah, yes. So a, a few years ago, I decided as a 35-year-old, 34, 35-year-old to submit my name to be the chair of a, of a not-for-profit uh, board of directors. This uh, not-for-profit is uh, Sky. Actually, it was mentioned in my bio, uh, Delisle Youth Services, which is now children, uh, Skylark Children, Youth and Families. And uh, at the time, I was pretty young compared to the people who are also sitting on this board. Uh, the board consisted of um, business leaders in engineering, in the, in the financial sector, in communications, um, a lot of people with gray hair, um, 
and who uh, were not, frankly, as young as, as I were was, and who I felt, more importantly, who I felt were uh, much more accomplished than, uh, in their career than I was. So I put my name in, that, in the hat for, for that role, thinking that I could do well at it, but quite frankly, scared out of my mind as to <laughs> yeah. how I would manage the role um, and my job, and significantly how I would direct this group of people, this group of 12 to 14 people in uh, strategic planning and uh, dealing with, uh, you know, the crisis of our emergency of the day. So it was a really discomforting feeling um, when I took on that role. But two years later, as I, I, was, I stepped out of the role just by, by virtue of the term limits, I was so grateful that I did that. I left the role much more confident in myself and my skills with a better understanding of how this quote unquote business ran, um, how senior business people think and what kind of questions they ask and what kind of questions I should be asking when managing a business. I was so much more confident in myself and what I could accomplish. And truth be told, that experience is what led me to launch Appia Law about a year ago. Interesting. So I started Appia Law, like I said, about just short of a year ago um, after working at a, at, a, at a great firm for 10 and a half years. Oh, wow. Um, was really happy at that firm, was working with outstanding people, was being compensated well. There was really nothing wrong with the, the, the work that I was doing there. It was challenging and interesting, but I just wanted more. And my having stepped out of my comfort zone a couple of years before launching Appula is what has prepared me for the experience, the challenges that I'm dealing with now. So the best advice that I could give to anybody in terms of you know, their own professional development and career growth um, is to think about ways that you can push your own boundaries and, and, and do that without fear of, of failure. Yeah, and I think that's really important to put yourself out of your comfort zone and, and be scared. And like you, you know, 13 years ago, we started this company and I, same as you, I came from the corporate world and the income was great and the people that I worked with was great. And I was terrified to start the business. But I think that's where growth comes from, Yeah. right? You know, if everything is just easy and you're cruising along your entire life, I don't think there's growth there. Yeah. So I think the people that we become is a result of taking that step out of, out of that comfort zone yeah. and saying, well, I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to fail. But even if I fail, I'm going to learn something from that and I'm going to go in a new direction. So, so I think that's really important. Well, listen, thanks for doing this. We're going to wrap this up. How can people get in touch with you, Rich? You can go to my website, appialaw.com. So that's A-P-P-I-A-H-L-A-W.com. You can also reach me by email at rich at appialaw.com or by phone at 416-900-3715. Okay, great. Well, folks, that is a wrap for today. Let me know if you have any questions about today's show or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast. I would love to hear your feedback. Best way to reach me is Robin Bailey on LinkedIn. And we'll see you next time on the Benefits Corner. 